One day after we talked with Auburn and Large City School District Superintendent Jeff Pirazzolo about the return to class after the Thanksgiving break, he informed families that the junior high would be fully remote through Tuesday, December 8th. The cause? Contact tracing on two staff members that tested positive for COVID-19 resulted in dozens of students and a few teachers to be placed into mandatory quarantine. While other schools in the district won't be impacted by this particular batch of positives or mandatory quarantines, Pirazzolo says these kinds of spot cases of COVID-19 have been one of the biggest concerns for him from the start of the pandemic. Today on The Daily Debrief, a conversation with Superintendent Jeff Pirazzolo about what's next for his district after the Thanksgiving break and an update on some of his biggest concerns, including the finances of a district in serious need. You know, and it, it is, it's the safety and health. Um, you know, we, we've had quite a few active cases. Um, fortunately for us, though, um, Josh, is that we're noticing that we're getting a lot of cases out in the community, but they're, they're not spreading in our schools. And we, we do know that because we have to quarantine classrooms and children and teachers aren't coming down with it that are in those classrooms. So, you know, what keeps me up at night is, is wondering what new regulation or guideline Governor Cuomo is going to put out there that causes, you know, more turmoil and more changes, you know, with his yellow zone, orange zone, and, and red zone. And, you know, he sets a, a, a percentage of 3.5% and then says, well, it could be different for any school district. So, you know, just trying to decipher those guidelines. But, you know, just keeping our school doors open, um, you know, we, we know that if, uh, if a child at the high school comes down with COVID um, and we're looking at, you know, proximate contact, which is 48 hours, and, and we do our contact tracing, we know that if, if they were in school on a Monday and Wednesday, that that could actually knock out nine teachers um, because, oh, you know, with proximate contact, um, what they do is they look at an hour time span over a 48-hour period. If you've been in, in contact with that person and it's cumulative over the 48 hours, you have to quarantine. So actually, if a, a student was in school Monday and Wednesday through their nine-period bells and had teachers 40 minutes each one of those days, that's 80 minutes, we'd lose nine teachers right there. So, you know, any, anything like that that could close our, our buildings down uh, for a two-week period, you know, those are the things that we continue to monitor, but we're doing a lot of contact tracing in Auburn. Is it reassuring at all that the, the governor has said that districts, no matter what zone they may enter at any given time, can test out at least? There is a, a path to, you know, quote unquote, pandemic normal at least? Yeah, you know, Josh, that and, and what we're doing is trying to be very proactive. You know, I, I looked at the testing piece of it um, as, as two big hurdles. One hurdle is uh, capacity of our health department. Do we have the capacity to get the health test and do we have the capacity to distribute the test and execute and, and perform the test? So last Tuesday, I met with our health department in East Hill Medical, who's our school physician, and we did determine that we do have the capacity to do it. So that was, that was one hurdle because for us, 20% of testing um, for just in-person student um, and staff, we have to do between six and 700 tests a week. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good number um, because we have about 1,500 kids that are remote that get taken out of that equation. Um, but the other, the other hurdle that we're looking at is willingness. 
um, of parents and staff to be tested. So actually what I did is I'm trying to be proactive. We, we sent out a survey uh, last Thursday um, to try to see and, and get a feel of our community. Are parents um, willing to have their child tested so we can keep our doors open? And is our staff willing? So we've been compiling the data and the data's looked really good. It's definitely been in favor of testing to keep our doors open. Um, but they have until tomorrow to finish the survey. So we'll definitely have that data out by probably early next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. And obviously it's a, it's a fluid situation, of course, but uh, what does learning look like now in the district? Uh, and, and what are your expectations for uh, December and January as you start to think about learning, you know, moving forward into and past the holiday season? Yeah, so and and that's a great question because we're we're continuing to to monitor what we do and evaluate what we do, um, and we just met with a bunch of teachers uh, last Friday, two Fridays ago, um, on evaluating especially our remote learning. So you know, right now we're we're running parallel programs. We're running a one hundred percent remote program. Uh, we call it the Remote Academy. Those are our students that are remote hundred percent of the time. We have twenty one teachers, three special ed teachers that really handle that program. So we started a school within a school, really. Um, and then the rest is our hybrid model, where kids are coming two days a week and remote three days a week. Um, you know, that's the best we can do because of our numbers and space and transportation. But what we got to continue to do is is wrench up the, the the remote learning because again I worry about between Thanksgiving and Christmas with traveling and family get-togethers numbers spiking, putting us in a yellow zone or or even an orange or red zone where we end up having to go remote. So we're really focusing on that remote piece and how do we get better and we're looking at different strategies. Um, whether it's, you know, doing more Zoom or taping more lessons so that kids can look at them at their leisure or with parents helping them do it. So that's really what our focal point is. Have Has comfort level grown with the remote learning aspect from the, the staffing uh, perspective? Have teachers gotten more comfortable as, as this school year has progressed uh, with the, the remote portions of their, their daily lives? I would say yes and no. Um, you know, again, you know, uh, this is my 28th year of education and I'm not really too great with the technology piece either, but I am Zooming with you today. Yeah, you're right so, here. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's a good start. Um, but yeah, I, I do think a lot of teachers have become more comfortable because we have many teachers in our district that are doing live Zooms every day. Um, not just our remote academy, I mean teachers that are in the hybrid model. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually just sent 15 cameras and microphones to Herman Ave uh, last week uh, because more teachers want to do it. I, I think what, what staff is seeing is if we live Zoom, instead of doing recordings and uploading everything into Google Classroom, it's actually easier because our teachers are working so hard. Yeah. They, they're working harder than they've ever worked in their lives because they're, they're doing three different lessons every day, you know, whether it's for the remote learners, for the in-person or the combined, you know, it, it, it's a lot of work. And, and I think if you get more comfortable with the Zoom part of it, it actually could take some work off of your plate. Um, but our, our teachers are continuing to do the recordings. And, and I think more and more teachers are going to that live Zoom. 
So the last time you and I talked, uh, it was right before school actually started or right around the time when school was starting. And one of the things you were a little bit concerned about, I think it seemed, was uh, transportation and how that would actually uh, come together or or not. Uh, how has that come together? And is that still one of the bigger challenges that, that you guys as a district are, are dealing with. Yeah, it, transportation, um, not only can we only put 22 kids on a 66-passenger bus, we are also seven bus drivers short, which is, is a, an issue that every busing company has, every school district in the country, um, is, is bus driver shortages. So, um, you know, that just adds to, to the issues. Um, we did have trouble transporting. We, we did do sports. We, we participated with uh, soccer and field hockey and, and tennis and golf. And we had a lot of trouble um, getting our student athletes to contest after schools because we just didn't have enough bus drivers and they were all being used because we can't put that many kids on a bus. So, you know, we were really concerned where are we going to be able to get the kids to school and, and front, you know, from school and back home. But we actually, we did pull that off. There was a lot of planning that went um, that, that we had to partake in to get that done. But we did find out that we had more issues because we couldn't do transportation runs in, in, our contacts were starting late. And of course, then it got dark earlier. So, you know, soccer and field hockey can play under the lights, but it's hard to play tennis and golf uh, under lights. So, you know, we, we did have some of those issues as well. And uh, another piece of this too was obviously the, the financial concerns. Uh, how has that uh, come to fruition or or not? Has the situation improved at all? Are you feeling any more optimistic or are you still pretty worried about what the financial uh, condition of the district will be looking ahead to the latter part of this year, next year, beyond? I think all superintendents are even more worried now. Um, there has been no federal stimulus package that's been presented. Um, Governor Cuomo is still talking about a 20% cut. Um, our PPE costs continue to go up. Um, you know, running hotspots uh, month to month, that continues to go up. Uh, replacing Chromebooks, that continues to go up. So, you know, a lot of money that we didn't budget for this year, uh, we're spending, you know, because of COVID-19. And, and the only thing that we're hearing is that we're going to get money taken away from us. So um, I think all of us are even getting more nervous but, you know, it's it's like we're going into budget season blind uh, because we don't even know what's going to happen with this year's budget, not alone the next year, the following year and the following year. This could be a three, four, five year hit for school districts. So, you know, hopefully the federal government will come out with a nice stimulus package that will be earmarked just for school districts. Uh, that's another concern that we've got, that if they just give them to the states, the governor has the choice of what to do with that money. Uh, we really like to see that earmark for school districts. Uh, and my last question for you uh, has to do with outcomes, and this is something that we did talk about the last time uh, we caught up. Can now that you're you know approaching halfway through this current academic year, can this school year be weighted equally to pre-pandemic school years in terms of student outcomes? Or does it feel like you'll be able to weight them equally to pre-pandemic school years, uh, given the sort of complexity around learning and sort of the learning on the fly that staff and students are, are experiencing with the technology and things like that? Or does it feel like there's going to need to be some sort of um, stopgap after this is all said and done, where there's either an element of catch up or an element of, of you know, 
extra resources in place for the students that maybe didn't get as much as they would have ordinarily out of this new, you know, the active normal that we're living through now? Josh, that's a great, great question because I think the gap is getting bigger every single day. Um, You know, when we look at equity for connectivity uh, for our remote students, we know there's no equity across the state. Um, You know, school districts like Auburn with a 60% poverty rate, we have our own issues with connectivity. But then you look at your rural school districts that they don't have connectivity because they can't get internet access where they live. So, you know, I I think city school districts um, struggle with that as well as our rural school districts. Um, You know, there's students that our social workers, uh, some of our social workers are doing 15 home visits a day um, trying to engage kids. Uh, It's very difficult to engage kids if they're 100% remote and they're not getting online. And and we're finding that happening a lot. You know, when you have 4,200 students, um, you know, that, that's one of our big concerns. Uh, do I think we could wait? Uh, no, I, I think it's, it, it's completely different. Um, you know, before the pandemic, when, at least when we have our students in school, uh, we have a cap- captive audience. Um, you know, we don't have that now. So, you know, it, it, again, it, it, and it's put so much pressure on parents. Parents are trying to work and now they're educating their kids as well. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's tough. And I, I think our teachers are compassionate enough to know that so that we, we don't crush kids with grades, but it's the knowledge piece, the gaps that we're worried about and how are we going to catch the kids up to those gaps? So, you know, uh, again, hopefully even, you know, by the summer, we'll be able to provide um, some type of remediation to get students caught up before September but again, you know, if we can't get through this pandemic and get our kids in the buildings, um, it's very difficult to do that. But no, I, I don't. It, there's definitely got to be something that has to be done to get our kids caught up. So you mentioned remediation, getting students caught up. And the first thing that came to mind is this continued discussion and debate around whether students uh, should get summers off or not, or whether it should be a year round uh, educational system. Do you think that some of the challenges that we're experiencing now could lead to sort of seismic changes in, in either the way students are going to school or, you know, the time of year they're going to school in terms of, you know, maybe transitioning to something that is more uh, year round rather than just uh, a seasonal where summer is uh, vacation time. You know, breaks are great. You know, kids need breaks. Teachers definitely need breaks and administrators need breaks. But sometimes I think the breaks are too long. Yeah. Um, and, and we do know that during the summertime, kids regress. Um, because that break is too long. I, I do think, you know, that they've talked about, you know, you go 10 weeks, maybe have a week or two off, you know, go another 10 weeks, have another week off, you know, or, or something like a college does um, and, and have, you know, three semesters. You know, I, I, again, I, I do think that um, summer vacation is a long vacation. I think it could be shortened up. Um, but I think within the, the, the next few years, we really need to look at that because of the gaps that have been created because we need our kids on, on target at their, at their reading levels, um, at, at their grade level, at their age level. And I, I think we've got to have time to do that catch up and not having summer school last year hurt us as well. 
Jeff, I appreciate the time. I won't tell any of your students that you not only want to take away uh, snow days, but you also want to take away summer vacation. But I, I had to ask. I, I just had to ask. No, and Josh, that's a great question. And, you know, I, all the kids love their summer vacation. They love their snow days, um, you know. But, but again, I do worry about those gaps because, you know, not, now we're getting into we'll be getting into December pretty quickly. That's a lot of months that we've missed, and and how do we catch them up? And we're trying to integrate that into our curriculum now with with some review pieces, um, but to get them caught up and then keep them a year ahead, it's very tricky to do that. So we need time for that. All right, Jeff, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for taking it today. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. The Daily Debrief is a production of FingerLakes1.com Digital Media. It's hosted by members of the FL1 News team and was created by Gabe Petrazio and me, Josh Terso. If you'd like to check out past episodes and stories, visit www.fingerlakes1.com daily. You can also subscribe to the show on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We have one ask for our listeners, though, and subscribers of the show. Consider becoming a supporter of ours over on Patreon. Right now, that help is invaluable in ensuring that we're able to continue doing what we do here on the podcast, but also continue our general news gathering efforts over on fingerlakes1.com. In the last two years, our platform has been accessed and read more than 50 million times. We just need a few of you to really begin making a difference with more reporters, more podcasts, and more in-depth coverage of the things that matter. Visit www.patreon.com slash FL1 to do it. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.